Welcome to the Meltdown Podcast from February 8th, 2019. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's video, we are going to talk about our current projects, cover my universal test machine I'm currently trying to make open source, um, some milling with uh, uh, Tom's experience in PCB milling and my, well, first steps in Linux CNC. Um, in news, we're going to talk about the Simplify 3D paid upgrades and also a, well, um, press release from the MIT where they talk about super fast DLP printing. Do you get to, to introduce a few topics as well? Sorry. I get to do questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we also have two fantastic questions. Um, <laughs> we talk about uh, MMU and what, what that is used for, what we would like to use it for, and whether we're using those at all. And yeah, we, we follow up on my idea of the arm snapping, crazy speed, ignore all physics 3D printer and whether the O drive is a good choice for that. Perfect. And there's something new. We are talking this week about our favorite gadgets and we're hoping that you guys like that like section of the podcast otherwise yeah we come up with something different stefan how are you feeling today ah a better but not perfect so i just i didn't really get fit over the last two weeks just always had a cold but i'm getting better so i'm drinking tea <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, can that, that my voice is fine, and we we should do like one one really smoky, rough episode where you both uh, <laughs> both sound like. Well, you already started <laughs> coughing, so. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I hope I'm not the next one who catches it. That it seems like everyone I know is getting sick right now. Yeah, it's horrible it's... at the moment. I thought the the flu season is over, but it's just about to yeah. start. Yeah. I don't know. Man, hum, human human bodies are weird yeah. immune systems you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we just need to be um totally fit when murph is starting so. oh yeah it's it's you know it's actually not that far out anymore it's only like six weeks seven yeah. weeks and, until we fly out yeah i'm already Damn. getting excited yeah uh, and and um 3d maker noob yeah. Um, just announced that he's coming along too. Yeah, that's great. So now just make his muse is missing? I don't know. Well, it's it's a bit of a long trip for him. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, I think he's been to Murph or somewhere, some, some Maker Fair. He's been to a Bay Area Maker Fair, I think, right. last year. But uh, yeah. Not last year. Year before that, maybe. Last year I was there and he wasn't. Yeah. But still, so many of the community are coming. Joel... Uh, yeah, 3D Maker Noob. Oh, yeah, Daniel Norey is missing yeah. too this year, unfortunately. He didn't make it, couldn't make it. But maybe next year. So still yeah. looking forward to meeting all the people you kind of just know from the internet, which is kind of strange, I think, at first. But yeah, still. Yeah, I, I, th I think we, we both are in kind of a really weird position because when when you're just you know in forums or in communities and you, you write back and forth you're kind of like equals you, you, neither one uh of the of you or the other guy person uh knows what you look like and what you're like in in person but you know as a as a youtuber as someone who's literally filming themselves right now uh, it's it's kind of one-sided you know people people know you and and think they know you more than you know them and it's well, yeah <laughs> i i wish i wish i could have like a, a swappable face where i could go anonymous uh at sometimes um just you know conventions like that and, and experience them as a as a regular vi visitor <laughs> but well that's that's kind of past yeah that that's past i i actually uploaded my first i think 20 or 30 videos just well without any face and i thought ah well yeah just be part of the community. Let them know who you are. Uh, yeah, that, it's, that's what, it's, that's it's what fun on it's fun on the one side, but it can be stressful from time to time as well. If you are on like the toilet and somebody's, hey, how are you? And, oh, I don't yeah, want to that, talk that, to you now. It's kind of weird. That's one of the one of the places I never want to shake hands again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Adam Savage has it pretty well figured out on at Comic Cons where he actually goes. Oh yes. Cognito. 
In incognito? Incognito? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in costume, I mean, it's not the same thing, but it, it, it's something, right? Yeah. Right. So and, I have seen that your YouTube videos are still not in 4K. <laughs> What's happening yeah. there? In fact, I have uploaded one just this afternoon, so a few hours before we, we started recording here. Um, what I started doing now is, is I'm uploading, I'm rendering out both a 1080p and a 4K video at the same time, and I upload both of them at the same time. And the thing is, the 4K one, the last video I uploaded, which is just, you know, my video gear, I think that, that was that one, is still not processed in the 4K version. It's been like 12 days. It's almost been two weeks and it's still at 720p. And in fact, it's not playable right now. Mm. Um, the 1080, uh, 1080p version of that, totally fine. Mm -hmm. Same with Jay's video, 35 minute video. Sorry, somehow I end up making these long videos, but yeah, 1080p one, totally fine. Instantaneously processed 4K one. Let me, let me, let me check right now. Um, is not even at 720p. It's, it's still 360. And you can't publish a video like that because you don't know if it's actually going to complete processing or if it's, you know, no. just never going to finish. Nope, still not, still not in HD. Well, we already got so. like some bad comments last podcast when I just <laughs> released the video when it was still not processed yet and just available in 360p. 360, yeah, that's the first one. Not only the videos, but also the audio is uh, yeah. has a way worse quality. Yeah, it, I think people are confused for the most part because usually, you know, we, we upload in, in decent resolution and, and, you know, have really crisp videos. Um, but when all of a sudden it's like this mushy sounding and mushy looking video, it's just, whoa, dude, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Back in, 10th, uh, in 2010. Uh, but, well, you're not the only one, I think, who is uh, who has problems with that. I have also seen Linus from Linus Tech Tips complaining about their videos uh, yeah. not um, processing properly. Yeah, it's, you know, if, if, if there was like some indicator where it's like, no, we're just going to ignore this video and it's just going to sit on the shelf at 360p forever. If we knew that mm -hmm. as creators, if you got that indicator, fine. Okay, I'll just re-upload. But the fact that there is like no progress bar or no, hey, we're working on this or we have a queue of five mm. hours until we can get to your video, that's kind of frustrating. So for the foreseeable future, um, at least from my side, you'll be seeing 1080p videos. I hope that's okay. I know some of the, my, my, my screen cap stuff that's, that's going to be in this upcoming video is going to be a bit less crispy than it, it should be. And YouTube compression is going to be eating up the video way more than if it had a 4K image to work with. But, well, it's, it's either that or no video at all. I'm fine with 1080p. Don't have any devices who can show anything better. Yeah, I mean, for the, for the longest part... Well, yeah, for the longest part that I've been uploading 4K content, I didn't have a 4K screen either. Um, <laughs> but I knew that even switching to 4K on a 1080p monitor in YouTube is still going to make the thing look so much crisper. But yeah, <laughs> I guess we're taking a step back here. Yeah, look at your stats. 50% of the people are watching your videos on their phone. So <laughs> Uh, phones are more than 1080p these days. Yeah, but I, uh, you aren't probably able to spot the difference between a, ten, between a 1080p and a 4K video. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've you've been working more in the in the practical realm recently, Stefan, right? Yes, finally. So, uh, one thing I have well I have been asked for like all the time I've been making YouTube is uh, can you, can I get the plans for your universal test machine and the universal test machine or i often call it my tensile test machine is really the thing i build my channel on this is the machine where uh, i do i do my my tests where i get gather all the data for for my filament samples and everything uh, and which kind of set me off from all of the other channels out there besides you because you also did it in a really in a really good manner. Um, and I have been putting that off because at first my uh, my code, that my Arduino code that I had been writing just looks horrible. 
Uh, I didn't have any plans for the electronics, so I had to reverse engineer everything, even though it's not that complicated, <laughs> but I just hesitated to, to do that. And now I finally got, well, I'm currently working on it. I'm putting together the electronics, um, still suck at making uh, schematics. So everything will be out open source. And I hope for contributions for people making, uh, probably making some real PCBs that if somebody's interested in making that machine can just, well, download the Gerbil files and order them. Um, yeah, software, I'll be adding some comments and... <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that's like the state of pretty much every single project that, you know, you work on and people want to have. But, you know, usually when, when you make something, you, you, you're in the flow and you, you just create to get the job done, right? Yeah. Um, you don't really think about, hey, how do I polish this up and how to make this uh, in a way where somebody else is going to be able to understand it. But people are still happy if you give them that raw, uh, uncommented work. Yes. Sorry, somewhat working code that you have. Yes. It's better than nothing. It's better than not releasing. Yeah, definitely. But well, still, well, you are kind of a perfectionist. Yeah, it's working for yourself. But if you want to put something out there, it should at least be in a form that also makes you happy. And this is just, well, the, the last 10% of a project always takes so much time. Uh, and this is the thing. Well, currently putting all that together, do some documentation, uh, gathering the CAD files and everything. And hopefully, like maybe in one or two weeks, uh, video will be up. The GitHub is already um up with some of the files, but then everything will be available and people can, um, yeah, build one of those machines on their own. And it's really interesting. So uh, I, I got tons of emails from people who also want to have one of these machines and not all of them are the 3D printers that want to test their filament samples. No, there have also been uh, people who wanted to test um, zip ties, uh, Zip ties? No, not zip ties. Um, Reißverschluss uh, uh, zippers. Uh, zippers, yeah. Zippers. Well, you can also test zip ties. <laughs> you can also test zip ties. Uh, it's well, it's called a universal test machine. You can yeah. kind of put everything in there and destroy it in a controlled manner. Uh, well, take the test data, compare things, and improve yourself. It, it's a cool project, but oh, it, it, yeah, as I said, it's just taking a lot of time uh, to put to put everything together, and at least making me kind of happy putting it <laughs> out there. But I'm really looking forward to other people contributing to that project. So you're putting that up on on GitHub, right? Yes, I'll be putting that up on GitHub. Yeah. So you're not charging anything for it, so. You know, just put it out there. You, people can send all the pull requests they want and yeah. then they can fix it up. Yeah. Yeah. But but just to, to summarize, so the, the universal test machine gives you basically two points of, of data. Um, the first one is, well, well, basically it breaks things, right? It pulls yeah. them apart. Um, and it gives you the data for how much it stretches and at what force it stretches. That's like the, the idea. That's, well, the, the test machine only, well, destroys parts at a controlled speed and gives me the force. Um, the strain is something kind of different, which I do um, with an optical extensometer. So I kind of put a additional camera in front of the machine, uh, mark two points on the sample, record a video, and then use uh, the motion tracking feature in Blender to track these points over time and then calculate the strain from that. Um, mm. So this is something totally different to that. You don't need that for, and I... Also, only you rarely use that for, for, for my tests because it's kind of a lot of work, but, um, they're kind of different things. I'll show how I do everything. Um, and there would actually be the possibility. And probably if I wouldn't have started YouTube and would use this machine like every day, I thought about adding a Raspberry Pi in front of there with a camera and using some OpenCV to automatically track the points and everything that you have like kind of a real tensile test machine. Right now, it's still lots of manual work, but I just do not have the time to make everything nice and pretty. It needs to work yeah. for me and I don't use it every day. So um, as I said, I'm looking forward to contributions and to people who 
know better what they are doing in terms of electronics and programming and contribute to the project and make it better for everyone. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's how RepRap got started as well. You know, people even you know people even just put their ideas out there without anything really finished behind it and and, and other folks came in and, and helped on that yeah so i think that that's going to be fantastic yeah definitely and well talk talking on my or speaking of my projects uh we've already been talking last time about uh cnc's pcb milling and things like these um so i've been using um gerbil on my cnc router for the last five years and i finally yeah. got a new like machining pc and installed linux cnc and tried to run that machine with linux cnc just because it's giving me a little bit more options it's a little bit more reliable and kind of a better proper setup making it more like a professional cnc um yeah so what 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 does what the what parts of the process does linux cnc handle linux cnc is more or less the G-code interpreter. It's the GUI that, uh, well, you also use to control the machine and it's creating directly the steps for the CNC machine and sending these steps over just like a normal parallel port cable to the um, to the separate motor drivers. Right. So it's taken out the, the Arduino that would typically be, co- uh, be controlling your separate drivers instead you just hook them up directly to your exactly. PC. Exactly. Because before I always used my laptop, had the uh, universal G-code sender on there, connected via USB to um, an Arduino, and then the Arduino did all the <clears throat> interpreting of the G-code yeah. and then sent the, um, the stepper signals. But uh, USB always had some issues. Um, Gerbil is a great software, but it's kind of limited from time to time. You can't do any uh, backlash compensation um, right. uh, and just other things are not as nice as it could be just because it's limited by its resources and like trying to use Linux CNC now is for me a step in, into getting like into a more professional CNC en- environment and um, well Linux CNC is kind of comparable to Mach 3 and I think yeah Mach 3 is actually based on Linux CNC or the other way around, something like that. Not, not sure. I've, I've never, you know, when a few years ago when, when I started, you know, getting into CNC, I never really understood what, what Mach 3 was actually doing and, and what its purpose was. Um, and I've, personally, I think the, the idea of using a parallel port is just, it feels so archaic to me. It's just, you know, <laughs> you can't even get a computer that still has a native parallel port. It's always through adapters and through, well, USB dongles, essentially. Yeah. Is that working out for you? Um, so I started with one really old Pentium, Pentium 4 machine that still had a parallel port on there, but it actually was kind of too slow for getting everything working properly. But and it had 2.8 gigahertz, come on. Yeah, <laughs> compared to the 15 megahertz of the Arduino. Um, and then a friend of mine told me that he still had a bunch of old PCs in his basement from his company that they don't use anymore. And this is an i5 third generation I don't know, really good machine still. Um, And I installed it in that machine. That's just working great. It's really working great. And since, well, um, so Linux CNC is running on Linux. And uh, this is not a, how do you call it? A real-time operating system. Yeah. So latencies need to be really small. Otherwise, uh, just the step... um, well, the duration between the steps will not be precise. And this was the problem with the Pentium 4 machine, that there was too much variety in the step duration. Yeah. And the new one is able to handle that pretty well. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you can get real-time kernels for Linux, but I'm, I'm not sure if Linux CNC actually makes use of that. Um, I, I actually might have been talking... Um, crap but i don't really know that much about linux i have to really be sorry but yeah uh that's how i understood it and uh yeah it's, so far it's working out pretty nice it's it's free compared to mach 3 because mach 3 is like 150 euros which is then running on windows um the community is bigger for mach 3 but yeah, yeah. Uh, i just thought that it would be working but you have also been uh 
machining your first PCBs. Yeah. How did that work out for you? And where did you Ooh. do it? Say, say again? And where did you do them? Where did I do them? Uh, my my usual, usual studio. I, I did them on the uh, CNC CNC ah. CNC router. <laughs> With the, the Bosch router on there? Yeah, it's a Makita router. Uh, Makita. So Makita Palm router. Um, That's kind of overkill. And, yeah, it does 30,000 RPM. So it's it's in the right ballpark. Yeah, um, yeah so that, that machine is not running Linux CNC. It is the classic universal G-code sender plus um, whatever cam you want, plus um, Gerbil, of course, with a CNC shield. Um, it was a bit of a, of a rough road, which is, you know, why, why the video that I today uploaded was 35 minutes um, on, <laughs> on that topic. Um, I... I, I kind of had too high expectations for for the machine and for the process. So I guess the, the, the biggest thing I wanted to do is to have a PCB here. Um, I guess, yeah, so this is one of the modules. YouTube viewers, you're welcome. Um, audio viewers, I'm sorry. Module, you know, it's a PCB that's going to plug into the PCB I make, and it has the standard 2.54 millimeter, one-tenth of an inch grid. And I wanted to have traces go between the pads mm. um, where the female headers for these would come in. And that didn't work out. <laughs> Not at all. I'd, I tried with an engraver first. Um, the engraver just snapped all the time. The tip just get, kept getting shorter and, and shorter and wider and wider. So my, my milled out traces kept getting wider. So that's not a fantastic start. So I switched over to an actual 0.5 millimeter end mill. That worked fantastically, but it meant I had to redesign the PCB. And actually, is it a PCB? The board. Um, the, the milled board. <laughs> um it's an mcb yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm I'm pretty sloppy about that in the video as well but oh yeah i switched <laughs> i switched over to a uh to a much wider um trace width and a much wider isolation width and that worked out beautifully it's just that you know it, it not being able to route between uh pads you know makes it a bit more limited for what you can do i i was able to route all the pins on this little auto board um, to the appropriate connectors on the main board if I had been able to have traces between pads. I'm sure. <clears throat> um, but with this, I had to strip out like 12 signals, um, which were optional, um, just so that I could go with a single-sided PCB. Okay. Um, but but I'm, I'm capable of making uh, PCBs now and watching the process is actually super fascinating. Um, the milling part, not impressed, but the drilling actually is is what I find the, the most satisfying because you're making like 0.8 millimeter holes and they're like precisely positioned every mm. single time and and they come out super cleanly. That's, that's fun. Mm. That's good fun. But what do you think was the problem why you weren't able to do these small trace spacings? So do you think it is the run out of your Makita yes. router? Do you think it's the sloppiness of the CNC yes. CNC? Is it the thing that your PCB wasn't 100% level? So I would be interested to hear uh, your thoughts on that. That too. Um, I think it was... a bit of all of them so that I'm, I'm pretty confident that the pcb was level because i, I planed down the bed before that um so it should be as perfect as it gets um so it, it was level but it, it it looked like it was not level because <coughs> i i think the tip of my engraver bit was breaking off i was using a 15 degree engraver bit which is probably a bit extreme but i wanted those fine details so the tip is like really really tiny on that mm. and you know, even with the with the bigger end mill that I ended up using, you could still see that there is a ton of backlash in the CNC mm -hmm. CNC. Um, it does have, you know, a, I think it's a two star lead screw with like one of those spring loaded uh, Delrin nuts. Mm -hmm. So it has like a backlash compensating thing, but mm -hmm. you know how well those work. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a ton of backlash in there, and. And that of course makes you know milling out small traces kind of hard. The the other thing is of course with that Makita router because it is you know it, it's essentially a wood router. You, you use it for for milling like chamfers on on a piece of of hardwood, not for making you know 0 0.05 millimeter traces on a PCB on a circuit board. Um, so the I, I think the original 
Chuck, it's it's like a it's not quite an ER collet system, but the original collet in there is pretty good. It comes with a six and an eight millimeter collet, but of course your your engraver bits or end mills uh, that you use for PCBs are not that size. Mm. They're um, one eighth of an inch. One eighth of an inch, yeah, three point one seven five millimeters. And I had to use an adapter collet. Uh. I bought like three different ones, and there was one in there that with the right orientation between the original collet and the adapter thing kind of was working well but it's just not reproducible and i think i had a ton of run out on mm. that engraver bit so that's kind of a death sentence for for a sharp engraver like that um because it's not gonna cut on the actual cutting face it's, it's just gonna smear through the copper and yeah um overall just not made for for that sort of precision yeah. work i think for such an application actually a modded 3d printer is yeah way well is the better option because um it kind of doesn't have any backlash due to the the belts you're using uh, yeah. compared to even the backlash compensated lead screws uh, that are in yours um and the cutting forces they are minimal so um yeah. the 3d printer is usually sturdy enough to um well, oh absolutely just uh run a a small engraver on there and do your pcbs there um which is kind of interesting, <laughs> but uh, the, if, the, if, the some, biggest... if somebody's thinking of, of getting into that, yeah, modding your CNC router as uh, your 3D printer is fine. And there are a couple of videos actually also on YouTube. I think Tech2C did something on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for, for mounting a, a, an actual milling spindle on a 3D printer, I think the biggest issue is resonances. Mm. Um, not that it wouldn't be rigid enough, but just that, you know, at a certain RPM and... <clears throat> um, well cutter geometry your thing is just going to start to resonate because it's not a very rigid system but it's very precise it can position itself very well so yeah for for milling out an outline i don't think a 3d print is going to be the best tool but at least for engraving um you know traces it's going to work pretty well uh because you bring up tech to see so this this project this milling project was just step one um because, uh, yeah, that's, that's like the obvious route. I still want to do that thing where you have a marker in your 3D printer and actually um, paint out your traces on your raw copper clad and then etch that away. Mm. So anything that is not painted uh, gets etched away and gets, gets well, removed in, in the copper surface. <laughs> and Tech2C is one of the guys who did a video on that topic, um, outlining a few details. I... Some of his tools aren't available anymore, um, so I, I, I kind of want to rehash that idea. And um, actually, my my pen holder um, that I found on Thingiverse is going to be inspired by Tech to zs original design. <laughs> but maybe just st staying on that topic for a second, we'll get to other questions in the end. But there, I kind of remember that there was one question in the comments: um, if you have already tried out to well 3D print directly on a piece well not is it pc well on a pcb uh, in order to use the plastic copper as copper clad um yeah. in order to use the plastic as isolating material before the etching process yeah as, as the etch resist um yeah i i think that the bigger challenge is, is getting it actually to stick to mm. your copper I, I think something like a flexible might work for that because those are tend to be really sticky and really well bonding to those surfaces but copper in itself unless it's really clean i don't think makes for the best surface to 3d print mm. onto and actually if you just have a simple adapter to your printer just using a pen for yeah. um well drawing your drawing Traces. your uh traces on the yeah. uh copper clad is the easier thing the only the only down the only downside of that method is if you well um use kind of an edge resist is that you have to drill the holes uh, the through holes um manually later and this is the really nice thing if you do isolation milling of uh, circuit boards that you can do isolation milling and directly drill all yeah. of the tens or hundreds of holes on your pcb and oh <laughs> it's just yeah, pleasant to look it, at even with tool changing as long as you turn off uh the xy stepper motors you can you can just open the collet put it put the drill bit in and you're good um i was using flat cam for the milling so 
it, it, that even allows you to do milled holes. So if you have a 0.5 millimeter end mill, you can mill out your through holes of any size with that, which is, I think, really nice. I just use uh, the same drill bit for everything, but mm-hmm. that is also an option. I mean, what you can still do is to to paint or draw some fiducials on your uh, on your PCB. In that case, it is actually a PCB, yeah, if you do it with a 3D printer and a pen. Uh, draw some fiducials on that and then align it on a CNC later. Yeah. Though, with the, with the marker tips that we have available, I don't think you, you even get much of an advantage, mm. you know, by, by doing that it that way, not just milling out the entire thing in one mm. go. And um, sure. how did you handle solder mask? Because when I did my first piece well my first circuit board which i um isolation milled um um soldering parts on that is kind of hard because the solder always bridges over the gaps you did yeah you know i'm just i'm just good at soldering you know even even (laughs) if youtube comments don't believe me (laughs) no problem (laughs) we'll see that (laughs) <laughs> yeah the uh the solder joints came out kind of kind of yeah. messy um it's just with so i ended up routing the isolation tracks with that 0.5 millimeter end mill or mm. you you can get those specialized pcb milling bits on, on aliexpress for a few cents um they have kind of a, a diamond grid pattern on them and it leaves a relatively wide track compared to engraving mm. uh, at least and that was enough to if I was careful soldering it, um, make sure I'm not bridging anything, mm. or at least if I did bridge it, I had to go back and kind of clean it up again. But yeah, was not that big of an issue. Did you only use through hole components, or did you also do yes. surface mount? No. Okay. Yeah. So v- very simple starter PCB. Again, the, it's basically an adapter board. It's it's mm. like a. Uh, yeah, adapter board. It's like a, a kind of a dev board kind of thing where uh, this is this is an audio DSP board with one of the analog devices, <laughs> DSPs on it. Um, that fits on there, a small DC-DC converter, uh, a small amplifier, connectors, that entire thing. There, there are no actual components. So active, passive, whatever mm. components, just mechanical connectors on that board. I don't really want to spoil any any anything but i have seen that you've been working on some well remote speakers is does that something have yeah to that, do with that's that? that's that direction ah, yeah cool yeah um again when when this podcast is out i, I hope i have the video published but yeah that's 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 the idea so audio dsp eventually i do want to have um like a diy bluetooth speaker something along those lines um that is programmable that you can adjust the sound with um and it's just a, a learning project and it's it's fun for me i enjoy audio stuff a lot <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah so all right projects covered projects covered uh next thing is news and uh, <sighs> what a shocker what a shocker yeah we have already Com- <laughs> Go Go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Shocking news of the week. Commercial 3D printing company charges money for their product. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Simplify 3D um, announced that they will be charging an upgrade fee for their version 5 of their software, even if you have already bought... Yeah, one of the older versions. And yeah. this has been upsetting some people. And I have been thinking about that topic for a couple of days when I have seen it and I have my opinion on that. And I think that it might not be the most popular one. So <laughs> viewers and listeners, um, please yeah, l- listen to what I have to say later. <laughs> so yeah, wh- what do you think about that? You have already said, yeah, commercial company charges for yeah uh, yeah an upgrade <sighs> okay what do you think about that you have you haven't been using simplify 3d well you have been I've using simplify like 3D barely yeah so i've used it for for g-code viewing and I, i've never really had the need to use it because mm. i'm happy with the support structures that i get out of well slick through Arcura, and I'm, I'm more happy <laughs> with using the features those have than what simplify 3d does but feature wise i mean we that that's a whole different discussion um so okay simplify 3d 
paid for slicer commercial company not open source not a not a charity not anything uh they're a corporation their goal is to make money right that's that's the base premise um so you buy simplify 3d license it's around 150 bucks and basically that their promises you, you their promise is you get a software, you get the current version, and then free upgrades for major versions for the next 12 months. That is like basically what you're what they're guaranteeing. Mm-hmm. And people that have bought version 4.x recently will get that free upgrade to version 5. But people who have bought, you know, version 3 or, or 2, or I think there was a version 1 at some point, um, are not going to get that next big upgrade, at least what, what they're um, announcing for free mm. and i mean that's upsetting people but i don't see why it would upset you i mean yeah i i guess it's it's that understanding that software is a service now and you know creative cloud and windows 10 and uh all these other tools are kind of more a subscription where you well either get it for free and then pay with your data google or um you pay a monthly fee like with with creative cloud from adobe and then you get all the all the rest for free. You get so much included just as a flat rate. Um, but Simplify 3D is not that. It's a one-time purchase. And, and people have been pointing out, hey, why why have you not switched to a uh, you know pay-as-you-go subscription model? Because it, it seemed like they were kind of running out of cash <clears throat> in the last year or so because updates were slow, communication was slow. So that, that might have been just a, a bad business move, but whatever. I'm... I don't see that Simplify 3D is doing anything wrong with charging users for their software. I mean, that's that's their base premise, right? They're they're a paid slicer. Yeah, definitely. What I what I do see a problem with though is the way that <laughs> the it, timing, essentially, what it comes down to. Their version four point four, I think it is right now, four point X, um, has not been the most critically acclaimed version of their software um, with people running into issues where they couldn't download profiles with bugs that they ran into that made it unusable for them with just not being stable was just not that the quality release and now they, they come along and, and announce hey you know actually to fix these things that's what it's coming across to fix the problems that we introduced we're going to charge you an extra mm-hmm. it's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 bucks yeah. that is unfortunate timing so not the not the best job on, on communication, but in essence, like guys, what did you expect? Seriously, you bought the software, mm. it said on the tin what you get, and you got exactly that. Yep, I, I think what also make uh, makes people upset is that they are used to having free updates to Cura and simply and Slick Three R. Well, yeah, since well. always, but <laughs> both of these slicers have well. Cura has Ultimaker in the background, so they are developing Cura for their Ultimakers. And yep. um, I think in a way to also develop and make their brand more noticeable, they are giving the um, slicer, well, away for free. Um, simply, f- yep. well, Slick 3R um, currently is mainly developed by Prusa. So well, Slick Three R, Slick Three R, Yes, there is still the main line yeah. slicer, <laughs> Slick Three R, that is developed by by Alessandro Ranucci. Ranucci. Um, Ranucelli. I don't know. I I keep messing up his name. I'm I'm sorry, uh, uh, Alessandro. So yeah, but the, the main development That's, on on Slick Three R is currently done by Prusa in their Prusa edition. Um, yeah, they're separate versions and they're kind of catching up to each other. But yeah. yeah. And they are, well, they kind of have to give it away for free since it, since it is an open source project, but it's also kind yeah. of publicity for their printers because the name Prusa is like in every head. Um, and I totally understand that Simplify 3D is now charging for their upgrade. They have, they have people they have to pay. They have programmers they have to pay. If... Um, if they don't have any money coming in, they can pay them and they can't do any upgrades. And yeah, as you have already said, it's it's a bad point at the moment because there are lots of things going on where people are not that happy. Um, in my opinion, they should fix version 4.1 that this is a oh, release sure. that 
um, is properly working and everyone who doesn't want to uh, purchase the upgrade uh, can use the latest version with all of the functionality working, all of the profiles being downloaded. But everyone who wants to get, uh, well, new features, they have to pay for the new version and that's totally fine. Every commercial software has paid upgrades. That's normal. Uh, <laughs> many people have, it's well, many software companies have been changing to the subscription model. Yeah. Um, but it's totally the same. Uh, you get free, well, free upgrades, but you pay a monthly or yearly or weekly subscription. Um, and I think it's fine. I think that the, th well, the thing that will be really challenging is can they really pack features into their version five, which make it worth worth purchasing because if they kind of just do a bug fix in version 5 people will stay in version 4 supposedly version 5 is going to be a, a big feature upgrade in, with yeah they have already been saying that for version 4 and it was just some minor things and we didn't really see um something really major that simplify 3d was known before and they were known before for their great supports and they have been relying on that fact being the slicer with the best support um, uh, algorithm for, for like years. But if they don't really bring a big benefit into the uh, 3D printing community, um, I think it's going to be hard. I think it's really going to be hard for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the thing is when, when Simplify 3D first came out, Slick3R, Cura, Skyforge. I don't think that was around anymore, but um, those were so far behind mm. what Simplify 3D had to offer. And, you know, piece by piece or step by step, the, the like unique features, the unique selling points to Simplify 3D kind of got stripped away and got uh, implemented in other features, like the entire thing of, of processes in Simplify 3D. Oh, you can do this object with that and you can just... <clears throat> Clickthrow does that too. You can set properties for every single object you can set per layer uh, properties like not a big deal you, you can do that um and then also stuff like octoprint integration that's that's not there multi-material support for the for the Prusa mmu1 and mme2 mm -hmm. still not there and yeah it's for sure going to be an interesting time for slicers um this year not just because of simplify 3d but uh <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Um, we might be talking about that in the next podcast. Yeah, maybe. Let's let's see. Let's, let's, see. let's see what's happening. Um, cool. Though I I gotta say I've I, I have more info on that than than you do. <laughs> well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't want to talk about so. that now. Um. <laughs> Topic of the week. You you have been sending me. Let's let's switch topics really fast. Yeah. <laughs> you have been uh, sending me a link to a um, article covering the new super fast DLP printing, which the MIT has been showing um, of recently. Um, yes. Can you tell me something about that? Because I I just briefly scrolled over the article but didn't really get all of the details there okay first of all is it is it gif or is it jif it's jif <laughs> okay we'll agree to disagree <laughs> so they've got the mit technology review and where's this from university of california berkeley and lawrence livermore national laboratory um, have developed a novice approach to resin 3D printing. And typically you have your DLP, SLA, MSLA, MDLP, whatever. You have your resin printers and they build the object one layer of a time at a time. Basically what they are doing, and th they have very nice gifts of this project, uh, of this process, is they have a spinning vial. Well, yeah, a spinning vial of, of resin basically. And they project an image of what they want to make through that entire resin. And 
only the areas of the resin that, that receive enough light from the projector actually harden. So they've got a second counter here and it looks like it's within a minute you have a solid object mm -hmm. that is basically whatever the size of your projected light area is. And that is, that is basically the, the, the premise here. You can have super speedy, super fast replication in in this one process of course it is still resin um so you have all the pros and cons that come with that and the i think the biggest downside is that it's not particularly detailed um of course you can spin it the other way around and say hey we don't have layer lines we don't have uh ridges in this thing but because you're you're not like precisely exposing individual let's call them voxels individual 3d areas of space you're just shining it through the entire rest you're just shining it through the entire resin. Um, it's still kind of hard to get that that really crisp print. Um, I can also see that because you're shining light through the entire resin, uh, the resin itself is, is only going to be single use because you're partially exposing mm. the entire thing at once. Um, but yeah, it's if you just need a, a really fast, really coarse... 3d print that might actually be a, a very neat approach mm -hmm. definitely and well i think at the moment it's currently just a proof of concept so like details might improve in the future it kind of reminds me um on the process that they use to manufacture these do you know these like glass sculptures yeah. where they use a laser and focus it's well at specific points in the glass where it creates micro cracks and this way creates a a three-dimensional object in the glass they kind of use the same thing they project a picture in there and at the well uh, at the layer or the 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 surface the the plane where the focus is the intensity of the uv light probably probably is high enough to cure the resin and uh yeah hold hold up hold up this this is not about focusing the light on a single plane this actually this literally shines if you have the, the spinning gif where they print that the thinker um it's not focusing on a single plane what you actually see in that gif is it, it being projected from the side mm -hmm. so it literally exposes that entire ray of resin all throughout the, the material and wherever ah, okay. you have enough accumulated light ah, okay. um, in a single point that's where it actually pushes it to to be fully hard so you kind of project like a like like a, a, an an x-ray picture of the of the part in there and this is like reverse ct scanning this is basically cool. yeah wow now i yeah. understand it That's so cool. what, it, what, it, what it is projecting, I'm sure that there, there's an algorithm behind it that makes sure that certain areas aren't overexposed and that, you know, it, it all adds up correctly. But basically, if you have that, you know, shadow wall kind mm -hmm. of play um, where someone stands behind yeah. a, a, an illuminated wall, that's what gets projected through it. And yeah, it just if the photon exposure <laughs> accumulates. Ah, that's cool. Because I already thought that, okay, <laughs> this... Sounds really interesting, but you get lots of light on like the rotational axis and also the, the resolution of your part will be worse the more you are away from that axis. But if you do it that way and if you take a look at the, well, accumulated light intensity at a specific voxel, the resolution should, should be kind of, um, well, equal in the whole, in the whole vial there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I I, th I think there's so technically there there would probably be a lower resolution the further you go towards the outside, mm -hmm. I think. But you may not have as much control over like that very center column that is always. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that they've solved that somehow. Um, well, maybe they haven't, but yeah, definitely a very very cool process. Yeah, that's totally cool. Yeah, check out check out the gifs if you if you get a chance. Um, and and if are, you don't understand what Tom mean, uh, meant, uh, check out the gifs. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have uh, your own opinion, if you call it uh -uh. gif or gif, in German I would call it gif, but I I think the proper English pronunciation would be gif. <laughs> but let let's don't talk about that. It's it's the graphics uh, interchange format. Uh, graphics. <laughs> Yeah. 
Gra- graphics, there's a G in there. Is it then G-I-F or? Yeah, graphics interchange format. It's GIF. GIF. Graphics, yeah. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, If you guys are interested, uh, well, on that topic, take a look at the uh, show notes. There will be links to uh, both of the articles and the uh, GIFs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Damn, I totally forgot to... uh, talk about one of uh, the things we wanted to add to the podcast today favorite gadgets of the weeks uh, of the week yeah non-3d printing stuff stuff <laughs> we totally enjoyed this week <laughs> yeah uh that, that we were surprised about i don't know if guys let, let us know in, in the comments do you do you like this I've, we're probably starting off very poorly here um but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and hold these in the camera. I've been using, so as my standard headphones, uh, I've been using these 25-buck Anchor uh, SoundBuds Slim. Good pair of headphones. They have the batteries in the earpieces, which kind of makes them fall out of my ears and they don't fit perfectly. But they're, they're cheap. They're okay. They're fine. Um, but unfortunately, they keep breaking after nine months. Anchor replaces them. No, no questions asked. Like you say, hey, I broke these. They just send you a new pair. So fantastic service but i this is like the third or fourth pair that i'm on and i'm getting tired of these <laughs> uh instead i got these huawei headphones these are the wh06 something 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 and no they're called the am61 yeah and this is the first time that i've had headphones that actually fit in my ears that really fit snugly into my rather large sized uh earlobes these are fantastic that they sound kind of weak when you when you start listening to them but they have that that you know analytical non-boomy non um what's the brand beats by dr dre they don't do that uh they they sound relatively clean like that i like these battery life is fantastic sound is okay new favorite pair of headphones love them a lot if you want to check them out links in the description you can get them on amazon they're around 30 35 bucks definitely worth the money cool Stefan, how about you? You've been you've been teasing me. I've, I've been teasing you. Um, I finally retired my um, Pebble Time so smartwatch. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a thing. Pebble Time for the last three or four years, and I was really upset when they um, well stopped making the Pebble Time two, and then Fitbit bought Pebble and kind of made all of the old pebble watches unusable anymore and i have been dealing with that for the last six seven months and well none of the functionalities didn't work properly anymore and i was Hmm. looking for a new um smartwatch um since i don't have an iphone i well didn't buy myself an apple watch even though i find the apple watch kind of appealing i have to be honest just how it looks, how it works, yeah. Um, and I have the problem that I have really small wrists. Do you say wrist? Yeah, yeah. wrist. Yeah. Uh, wrists. Um, and so, Mikolas from Prusa. Oh, yeah. I have been meeting him this. The video guy. Yeah, the video guy. I've been meeting him this year at uh, Form Next, and I have seen that he's all, he was also wear, wearing one of these. Um, smartwatches and ask him what he what he had and he had one i think it was also um an amaze fit watch which is made by mm. xiaomi also chinese yeah, brand right. and so i bought myself <laughs> we're, we're the amaze fit bip which is kind of nicely suitable for small wrists and it, it looks like an apple watch in first it place. looks like an apple watch the only thing which is really ruining the looks is the um the Amaze Fit logo right here in the front, which is uh, ah. kind of, yeah, I don't know. Um, the thing, what, what I really like about this uh, smartwatch is that it has supposedly a battery, battery life of 45 days. So you 45, 45 days, does, does it have an e-ink screen or how e- does it do that? Um, so even the Pebble Watch didn't have a real e-ink screen. It was an LCD, which was working if, uh, also, if you had light from the front, and this is right. the same. So um, 
The display is not nice and crisp, but it can be readable all of the time. Um, it has automatic light when you put it into um, the right um, posture. Um, and well, I've been wearing it now for like a week and the battery has drained like to 80% or something like that. Wow. It's great. And it has you- heart rate sensor included, which also seems to be working. I haven't compared it yet against my Polar um, heart rate belts. Yeah, but but heart rate is, is I think, pretty easy to, to get right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have the, the blood pressure thing that the Apple Watch now does, right? Nope. No. Um, um, can can you can you do phone calls on on it? No, it's um, no? it has okay. Bluetooth con- Bluetooth connection. It will show you notifications. It will show you when um, a call is incoming, but it's really bare bones. It's eighty bucks um, compared to like oh, I paid two hundred and fifty bucks for my Pebble Time, yeah. but it has Gorilla Glass three on the front. Um, the thing which I don't really like is that um, it can show. Umlaute like E and Ü <laughs> and Scharf S and smileys on the screen. So you only get question marks when you get a notification where this is included, which kind of sucks. Um, and it is not properly um, water resistant. So you should, shouldn't should even shower with this watch. Okay, I already but did it. It's not broken yet. Um, but yeah, what can you expect? It just doesn't have the official bucks? rating. Right. It has IP67, um, I think, but well that's waterproof enough yeah. water resistant enough um and it doesn't it doesn't run android wear i assume no um something which they did on or did on their own and this is one of the reasons why i think they also get away with a 45 days of battery life because this is really just right. bare bones and they have some yeah. really other ones that are a little bit bigger which but look really nice but yeah just my wrists are not big enough to to kind of wear them i'm happy so far uh with this uh new watch Mm, let's see how it will turn out during the next couple of years (laughs) yeah i'm i'm just not a watch guy and and honestly i also sometimes just enjoy not having a device that is screaming at me but you do you jiff man yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cool should, should we answer some questions we have i think some some really good ones from are these from youtube yeah these are from youtube yes do you want to start out with the first one uh it's so long do you want to read it okay sales <laughs> maxwell is asking hey i would really like to know your opinion on mmu printing i think i have not seen a video from you too on that topic i've seen that stefan has a dual extruder printer in the last video so i assume or hope stefan is going to talk about that soon i actually already made a video on my dual nozzle tivo tarantula like a year ago this was my first experience with multi-material or dual nozzle printing and i also have an Hicktop Duale 3 IDEX system, so with two individual um, extruders, uh, which I got as a pre production unit, which is horribly loud, but <laughs> what, and that's the reason why it's currently in my basement. Um, I don't use it that often, multi material printing. Uh, one of the reasons is that it just slows down printing quite a bit and makes preparing models. Um, quite a lot of work but um, sometimes there are applications for that and uh, I think the the most important application in my opinion is soluble uh, support material and I think you also have a an Ultimaker 3 yeah I have the Ultimaker 3 Sigmar 17 um, Atom 2.5 EX which is a multiplexer and the multi-material one from Prusa so plenty of options uh, there as well yeah do you use them often no why because it's a pain to prepare stuff for them um you know when when i design things i usually design it either um as a supportless print or as you know something that needs very minimal support and yeah again the the only real application is as an engineer i see for these is that you know we have that pva soluble support but pva in itself is also such material that such a pain to work mm. with that i uh, 
I don't feel like going through the effort. So, so quite often I just use regular support. Yeah. Um, of course, multicolor is is fantastic. Um, there is not. I, I wish we were seeing more multi-material where it's two different mm-hmm. properties of material mm-hmm. that get mixed to the, together um, or well, not mixed, not blended together, but used in the same print where it's flexible and, and rigid or... And, well, and this two, is, I guess, what um, Sales yeah. Max4 is talking about. I don't know if you have watched my latest video about smart infill. Uh, I, I, I still need to watch that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, um, there I kind of use um, um, infill modifiers that I extract yeah. from topology optimization and put them in my 3D prints in order to um, have 100% infill at the location where the material is really needed. And I thought for visual purposes, it would be nice if I would use transparent PLA for the outer shell and use red PLA for all of the areas where it is um, strengthened. And that yeah. looked really, really great. Wait a second. I've seen the thumbnail. It's, yeah. It looks fantastic. Um, um, but And for, for for something like that where you actually have 100% infill, it does make sense to do like just a classic dual extruder, different nozzle size. Um that's that's of course something you can do with a with a actual mm-hmm. dual extruder printer, not with an MMU, but um, with a dual extruder setups. But the thing that was topic uh, uh, popping up in the comments was um, if this would be something where you could well three D print like the outer shell of the part in one material and use another material for infill, be it uh reinforced materials be it something more soft being something more rigid um but this is something uh, which hasn't really really been uh been i think investigated much in the past but there would be probably Um, some cool applications for that I'm trying to think what would make sense, whether you have like the eggshell approach where you have your hard shell and your soft inner core. But that I think would just make your part extremely weak because you don't get the support your your shell needs. Yeah. Um, or you have basically an inner part that you coat in a soft touch material. Mm. I think that, that would be that would be something that's that's nice. I mean like um cordless drills do that where you have just a thin shell um, in the gripping area where it's molded on rubber that makes it feel better and grip better but I don't know combining different properties maybe if you have like a, an old PLA that you want to get rid of you use it for the infill mm-hmm. right but I don't see a lot of applications for for infill and shell combinations no. I'm also thinking about that topic um, I also don't really have a proper application for that at the moment i don't know if you listeners or viewers have any ideas you can leave them down below um as you know me if if there's something interesting popping up i might be investigating that because i think it's an interesting topic and it might uh, lever 3d printing up a little bit to applications we well did not see it being used before and I'm, yeah. and I'm quite happy about what I did there. So <laughs> dare, dare you watch that video. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll catch up on it, yeah. Um, but I guess to, to, to close out this yeah. topic, uh, MMU printing, I guess we, we did talk about this. We really, we really need to start a list on, mm. on the topics we've covered. Um, MMU versus IDEX or just dual extruder. Um, I mean... Yeah, MMU I think is a bit better for multicolor because you don't have the hot ends heating and, and cooling all the time and, and needing to reprime each one. But for actually mixing materials like a PVA and a PLA, even I, I don't think MMU or multiplexing setups are the best choice necessarily. Yeah, me neither. Um, but it's it's a simple solution and kind of upgradable for other machines and yeah. kind of saves you the hassle of calibrating two nozzles um, to each other. Yeah, just a very simple, very elegant approach in, in that regard. Yeah. All right, uh, next question. Uh, Joel. And the last one for this and video. And the last one, yeah. Well, this podcast. <laughs> uh, Joel Drivers asking Tom, would the O drive be an option for your arm snapping 3D for your arm? Th- Sorry. <laughs> Let me start over again. Joel Driver was asking Tom, would, be, would the O drive be an option for your arm snapping printer? Would like to hear both your thoughts. 
And so what's the old drive? Simple. Yeah, okay. So the, the old drive is basically a servo controller that you hook up to a brushless DC motor and an encoder, and it runs it as a servo. It's an open source platform. It's relatively affordable. I think it's it's somewhere 150 bucks for a dual well dual drive unit that does kilowatts of output um and yes i have specifically looked into the o drive for that that ultimate 3d printer approach where uh you just ignore accelerations and just keep going and keep the hot and happy at a certain flow rate so yeah very much an option cool Stefan, what's your opinion on the uh, or your thoughts on the o drive have you have you checked it out i've seen it at at uh, bay area maker fair I have heard Something about it, um, but I haven't really well looked uh, too much into that yet. I'm thin. I'm thinking about uh, upgrading my CNC router with uh, servo motors, but at the moment, um, don't really. I'm I'm not really that much into into servos. Yeah, the thing is for let's say regular 3d printers we have a relatively weak frame and relatively weak belts. Just the old drive is is a bit. Just a tiny bit overkill, because you, you see the I, I've got a video up on it um, on the channel from like from like, from last year's Bay Area Maker Fair. That thing hoons. That thing just goes like crazy. I mean, you have belts, you have your eight millimeter round rods. That <laughs> you, you're going to be in wobble <coughs> hill. Um, but you have said that this is an open source system. So um, do you yes. buy the? encoder and electronics separately to your motor or is it like a whole package which comes with the motor um, and the encoder and the electronics which make it a, um, a servo motor they they do offer both um, so they have the um, their o-drive board their o-drive 3.5 i've just opened up the shop right there um, they sell the board itself um, which is either single, dual outputs, etc., and then you can also buy motors that they know work with this. And yes, they have dual shaft motors. Um, of course, one side is the drive set, the other side is the encoder in two different speeds. They also have an encoder set um, that you can buy with it, so you can get like the full motion system uh, from them. Or you can, of course, mill your own PCB and, and build the thing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> challenge for you yeah I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon <laughs> not figured out soldering smd components like that yet yeah. all right and i think that's it for today absolutely thanks everyone for your Man. time you can yeah thanks thanks Stefan, for being here time time is passing fast yeah. i mean it, it felt like a short episode but uh over an hour again damn but we've heard you guys like that. You guys like it long and slow. <laughs> <laughs> and on that right. bombshell, uh, see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Yeah. See you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>